20th episode of Rounds Rant. So thank you to everyone who's listened so far, who has liked any of my posts, shared on any of my posts, or even just wrote nonsense on the post. Uh, your attention and love and hate is equally uh, respected and appreciated. So today, sitting opposite me is James Ryan. For those of you who do not know who James is, he is currently a professional rugby player for Leinster in Ireland. And in the last 12 months, James has won a Champions Cup Pro 14 title, a Six Nations, along with the Grand Slam, and most recently, a Test Series down in Australia. So James, thanks a million for coming on the show, and how are things with you? Great, Ralan. Um, I'm, I'm quite hungry actually right now. <laughs> Looking forward to some chicken that you're going to bring me out to eat. But now I'm in good spirits. Um, being back a week training now, so happy to be back into the swing of things. Let's go back 15, 20 years. And what sticks out in your mind as the main memories or moments of your early days or your childhood? Um, I don't know. I grew up in uh, St. Helens Wood. Um, so it's quite close to where I live now in Buddhist town. It was kind of the perfect place to grow up for a few boisterous brothers, um, which was what we were because it was like a park at the top of the estate and like a forest at the bottom. So, and I had Brian Poland live kind of um, nearby, actually across the road. He's one of my good mates now. He was quite a weird kid back then, as he'll probably admit. But um, no, it was it was I kind of look back at it with uh, with fond memories. Yeah. And to stay on the topic of your upbringing or your family, so to say, a big part of your family history is your great-grandfather, James Ryan, who was an Irish Fianna Fáil politician who served as a Minister of Finance, Minister for Health, Minister for Social Welfare, and Minister for Agriculture. He was also heavily involved uh, during the Easter Rising in 1916 as a medical officer, and he, along with James Connolly, were actually one of the last people to leave the GPO when the evacuation took place, and it eventually brought him to England, where he was put in jail. You also admitted to researching about him during your Leaving Sir project, if I'm not mistaken, with the infamous Brian O'Mara, who is currently the new Picasso of Dublin City. But to not get too sidetracked, how much of an interest did you take from learning about your family's past, and in this case, your great-grandfather? I did take a uh, big interest because uh, I do naturally love history. So when you know I had somebody that was related to me, it it was it was kind of cool for me to be able to to learn about him and and you know do some research. And what was the exact role your great grandfather played in the whole situation? As I, I know, he was a medical officer, but like what what did that entail of? So he turned up to the GPO just like any Irish volunteer with his with his rifle, but I guess he wasn't actually carrying a rifle because he was being arrested. But uh, he turned up like any other soldier. Upon arrival, he learned that none of the medical personnel, or medical people, had, had turned up. So, being a doctor, well, he actually wasn't even a qualified doctor yet. He was in his final year as a medical student, but. They were in badly uh, need of a doctor, obviously, so he was made medical officer and, uh, I guess, look after, looked after the wounded. Um, I remember reading that James Connolly was, was the worst wounded, he said. Um, he had a badly shattered ankle that had been hit a number of times by what looked like a machine gun. Um, it was obviously, James Connolly was obviously a very brave man because 
he said that he was wounded first in the arm and he had uh, James Ryan wrap it and he told him not to tell any of the men because it might hurt discipline knowing that you know the leader was was uh, injured so it gave kind of a cool insight into like I guess the leaders of the rising guys like James Connolly and Tom Clark and stuff uh, and uh, and kind of you know what went on well, it's a very noble story to have a bit of insight to so to revert back a tiny bit, you spent your school years in St. Michael's College like myself, and I'm sure you'll agree it's a, it's a superb place to grow up. It's a great place for banter. It's a great place to learn. It's also a great place to play rugby and multiple other sports. And you made a big impact on the rugby field in terms of success. You won the Junior Cup. You won the Under-13s Cup. Well, you also played in the Senior Cup Final while you were in fourth year. And it's, it's constantly highlighted today by Irish media that... There's a huge amount of pros being produced by multiple Dublin schools, and it seems to be helping certain players progress into professional setups a lot quicker than perhaps other people from different schools. So how important of a role did rugby play in your school years and eventually developing you into a pro rugby player? I think it plays a very important role. Like the environment, um, like obviously JCT rugby is, is great, and I loved it, but SCT rugby is a bit more serious and kind of helps prepare you a bit better for the next step. And the environment that I played in it in fourth year and fifth year and sixth year was a really professional one. You know, you were expected to turn up and to work hard. And that was kind of a good um, platform, really, for you. So that when you made the next step, that you had that kind of experience of, uh, of playing in, in that kind of environment. And personally, do you think that's, and I, I don't want to be biased here at all, but do you think that's what separates other schools from St. Michael's right now? Because we went through a barren enough run from a results point of view and also off the pitch in relation to having the structure, having professionals being produced at professional level. Is this current system in place and the system that was brought you know, in five, ten years ago by the people you mentioned, is that what tends to separate St. Michael's to some of the other schools? Yeah, definitely. I think like BlackRock would be quite similar like in terms of um, how well it's run and, and the professionalism. Uh, so it, it's not just Michael's, but uh, in fairness, the rugby program in Michael's is, is really well run. And, you know, Emma McMahon is the senior coach at the moment and the skills are very lucky to have somebody like him in that role. And there's there have been a number of other uh, other coaches that have played a big part, you know, Greg Williams, Andy Skeen, obviously, he was a big influence and a big big influence for me as well, uh, growing up. So uh, it's kind of a a number of people that have have kind of brought the whole thing on, and and um, you know, I said obviously the the results are, are there to see. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, I've actually been lucky enough to have played and coached. Uh, senior and junior cup teams in St. Michael's and when you step away from it or reflect on it it's 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 it is scary how much of a negative impact a cup loss can have on a team a school or an individual as the hype that surrounds a Leinster schools cup is it's often crazy to be honest because you have schools journalists teenagers promoting it on social media you have previews in multiple newspapers. You have discussion boards with mental names on it. Swordman 5, Near 66, like the works. 
You also have pressure from family members and friends, along with your own individual pressure that, you know, this is your dream and you need to make the most of it. So now I played in sides that were tipped for great things. We'd highly regarded players and we fell at the final hurdle. But for the sake of me not breaking down, let's not get into that. But when you were in sixth year, you were captain and that side was, it was tipped to do great things, yet fell short in the second round in a tight game versus Klongos. And how tough of a pill was that to swallow? As unlike nowadays when you pull on a jersey for a Leinster team or a Leinster A or even an Ireland, you don't think, oh, this is my last ever game, even though there is a cliche saying, oh, play every game like it's your last. But when you lost that game for Michaels, you knew that was your last chance. You would not get a second chance. And that's what's often the toughest thing to take. Like, how tough was that for you personally to cope with? Yeah, it was tough. And like, even the losses in, in the second year um, were fun. like, you could, they weren't fine, but you could manage them because you knew that you had more years left in the school. And even fourth year, which was like a win for Black Rock in the last play. <clears throat> It was pretty heartbreaking, but again, you knew you had two years left. So when you get to your own year and and you don't deliver, that's when it did feel pretty gut wrenching, gut wrenching, um, gut wrenching. Um, because like you're playing in your own year, your best mates. So you kind of feel like you, you let the school down. You've let a lot of people down away. So it is tough, but you know you learn a lot. Like they say, harsh lessons are the best lessons, and. I learned a lot from from that whole campaign in terms of, you know, just in terms of managing yourself before a game, in terms of your mental preparation and stuff like that. So, um, while it was it was very tough at the time, I, I think I've I've learned a lot from it. Yeah, sure. I even remember back back in what two thousand and thirteen after our sixth year uh, SCT final when we lost. It takes it takes months and months and months to fully get over it, and it, it probably takes even a bit longer. But the rawness does subside, and eventually you do step forward and realize, okay, it's just skills rugby. At the end of the day, it is just a game. But for you, how how long did it take for you to fully get over it and move on and focus on the challenges that awaited you? Like I remember watching David playing um, last season playing his own senior cup and kind of when I was watching those games, I was kind of feeling like, fuck, I wish I'd won a senior cup. And certainly, as I said, your mind kind of flashes back now and again. Um, it definitely would have been like, it's funny, like even after winning other things, you think that, you know, you kind of forget about it, but it's funny, like the, the more you win, the more kind of you wish you'd won that in a way. Um, so I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's definitely not, completely vanished from my from my mind but um, no I've obviously got like a lot to think about at the moment so it's not something that would be kind of at the forefront anyway yeah and it, it, you can always look back on these things in hindsight and think oh if we could have done this if we played this way or that way whatever the next chapter of your rugby career so to say was with the Irish 20s and they had an incredible campaign you were obviously captain and the side eventually reached the final of the World Cup, including beating New Zealand for the first time ever. And obviously reaching the final was an incredible achievement. But for you personally, how much confidence and pride did you take from playing your part in such a successful campaign? 
yeah, the Irish 20s was a great year. Um, like getting to put on a green jersey in a Six Nations and a World Championship was class. Uh, it kind of took us a while to get going. It was largely a new group and we had new combinations. So we lost our first two games and then then we went and beat England away and then won, won uh, the last three of the, of the Six Nations games. And then obviously we went and uh, had a pretty successful World Championship beating New Zealand but ultimately it didn't it didn't end the way uh, we had anticipated so that was very disappointing to lose to England like that but looking back on it it was yeah it was a class year and it gave me my kind of first taste of rugby at you know the elite end mm. and as I previously mentioned how how do you approach captaincy as in you were coach sorry you were captain in school you then go on to captain the Irish 20s. And how much of an impact does that have on you? Um, I guess you do have to think, I mean, you can't just think of your own role because obviously you're captain, so you have to have kind of a knowledge of, of you know, kind of everybody really, and the teams are all, and things like that. But, um, I mean, it didn't feel like a burden or anything like that. Um, I mean, obviously I've, I haven't captained teams for a while now since, the Irish twenties or school, but back then, no, it didn't. Didn't feel like there was any added pressure. Mm. And yeah, shortly following on from those Irish twenties performances, you get exposed to club rugby. You played a bit with Lansdowne and UCD, and during that time, you suffered a serious injury to your hamstring. And looking back on that, was that a crucial moment in your career? to get your body and mind right for what would be a massive 2017-18 season for club and country? I'm not sure because I don't know like what the season would have went like if I hadn't uh, been injured. But like as it turned out, I mean, I spent a crazy amount of hours in the gym because when, you're, when you have a long-term injury like that, I mean, you're in the gym for strength training, uh, prehab, um, you know, when you start being able to move again, you're you're doing your speed mechanics, um, you're doing your rehab as well as prehab. So you end up kind of racking up a, a crazy amount of hours. Uh, so it kind of turned out that I'd put on a bit of size. And when I was eventually picked for the summer tour, I was I was in pretty good nick. So I mean, looking back, it probably wasn't the worst thing now. Yeah, well, I spoke similarly to. Dan Levy pretty much this time last year and he had he had his struggles initially with injuries and he's had a fantastic run the team since but does being injured kind of manufacture create this hungerness that cannot be matched while you're out on the training pitch or playing matches because it must be very very difficult for you to wake up each morning go into the gym do your rehab go to a physio get a massage do your gym work and then just see everyone else are the majority of people doing what they want to do, which is go out and train, go out and play, go out and chase trophies. So was that moment and that period for you that was several months long, was that a really crucial moment in relation to bringing out the drive and hunger we'd eventually see the following season? It probably, as you said, when you're not training with the group and you're kind of training by yourself, it is tough. So, I mean, it gives you plenty of time to think about, you know, what you want out of the following season or, you know, what you want, 
when you're back fit. So, and also, you know, they make you work really, really hard. So I guess when you're, when you're back and able to train again and play again, having been through all that, you're just, yeah, you're definitely raring to go and you're just kind of ready to rip into people, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and and shortly after you regained your fitness and got back fully fit, the rumour mill or the Twittersphere went a bit mad as the newspapers and there was photos going around of you togged out wearing a Munster jersey and there was people going bananas saying, James Ryan is signing for Munster, what the hell is going on? But turned out you were playing in a, a Munster development game against the Irish 20s. And this eventually leads you to being called up to the Irish squad, being on a plane that's about to tour the United States and Japan with the Irish senior team. What I'd like to know is how did those three to four weeks pan out with regards to the IRFU getting in contact with you, you playing that game for Munster, and then eventually making your debut against the United States? So I got asked to play for you know the monster development side, which was kind of a weird, weird um, scenario. But you know, obviously it was it was important that I'd gotten some game time before I was picked in the in the squad. So I, I really would have played for anybody. Um, and then the squad was announced one week. I think it was midweek, uh, like on a Wednesday or something. So the whole week had kind of been a bit of a nervous wait for for the announcement and then I remember uh, when the day came I was just like refreshing my phone waiting for the email to come in eventually it came in it was an email from the RFU and it's only kind of the first like four words that matter so they're like you have not been selected for blah 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 or yeah. you have been selected so I opened it up and it said you've been selected and I kind of zoomed in again to make sure zoomed in again to make sure and then I just started absolutely roaring like screaming the house down <laughs> uh, it was like it was, yeah, it was a great moment because, and then Mark, my brother, uh, Ryan kind of knew what that meant. And then my dad, funny enough, thought we were having a massive scrap because of <laughs> the noise. So he like ran upstairs, but I think once he kind of saw us, he knew what was, um, what that meant. So that was kind of a special moment, I guess, to share with the two of them because like any kind of like rugby player in Ireland, you kind of always dream of, of something like that, but until you see your name kind of there, it's it's kind of surreal when you do, you know. Yeah, and I'm 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 only envious of how great that of a feeling that must have been, and it's it's everyone's childhood dream to represent their country. And some people want to play rugby, some people want to play football, some people want to play snooker. But is it is it possible for you to describe what it felt like to eventually fulfil your childhood dream, which was playing for Ireland? I mean, the whole build-up to it, like the Red Bull Arena, like I'd never played in a stadium like that. That was cool. Obviously, putting on like a green jersey, as cliched as that is, um, was, you know, unbelievable. The match happened to go well, thanks to Keith Earls. And uh, <laughs> even though I was really nervous prior to the game, I remember uh, Church, Keen Healy was in the change room and he was, uh, he was doing his best to kind of, helped me and uh, Porter stay calm and he actually did a very good job with that and then after getting to see um, my dad and my uncle and Mark and I got met Jack O'Keefe um, Croker uh, who else was there 
you know, my old mates, all my mates were there and it was, yeah, it was a great day like to, to share that with them. Yeah. So the success of the summer tour, it went really well and it's eventually brought to an end. You then go home, you have to reassess, recharge, and then suddenly you're into preseason. Following that preseason, you go on 24 games unbeaten for club and country. And I'm just, I'm just asking, did you set yourself goals this time last year? Did you think, oh, I would, wouldn't mind playing X amount of games, or maybe if I play for Leinster A to play 80 minutes and do this or do that? Or was there anything else on the cards for you? I definitely kind of took it on a week-to-week basis in one sense, uh, because if you're training well, you're playing well, you know, you're going to be picked. But, you know, I was kind of hoping to break through into the Leinster team to, to play in November. Um and featuring the Six Nations, so uh, I guess that was that was kind of uh, my, my thinking at the time. And when you look back on the season, do you ever think, well, did you ever anticipate for it to end up the way it did? I mean, for us to win the the Grand Slam, the double, and then win a summer tour, I don't think I predicted to to the for the season to go that well. But as it transpired, it was it was an unbelievable season. Um, it was just a complete roller coaster. And now I was very lucky to have been involved in like two unbelievable teams. And what did you take personally from this season? Like, what did you what did you learn? What what's the one thing that kind of stands out and hits home with you? Um, I think the France match, the first game of the Six Nations. I was quite nervous for that. I remember the whole week, and because I I didn't really know what to expect. Like I'd played international, but I mean this was I played a few internationals, but this was France in a Six Nations game in the Stade de France. I mean the stakes are higher. It's a, it's a different it's a different test than the November test. So I, I was quite nervous, quite anxious for that. Um, it happened to go pretty well. So from there, I mean that kind of gave me huge confidence, and I kind of thought. Like I can compete at this level. And was there ever a time where you looked back on that, say, that French game where it was just really heroic effort from one to fifteen, and it ultimately ends in Johnny Sexton slotting a forty-five meter drop goal to win in the in extra time, essentially. Well, is there ever a moment, or was there ever a time where you thought, you know, if that doesn't work out, we don't win a Grand Slam? And we could potentially not end up winning the Six Nations, which in turn then dampens confidence ahead of Leinster's domestic push and then ultimately a test series away to Australia. Um, you do. like it, it could have so easily gone either way, but like people always say it, and it's for no reason. Sorry, it's not for no reason that rugby is a game of fine margins. And sometimes the margins are so small and we're not such a good example, but... We did speak about it after the game, but by the time like Monday comes around, like you've already reviewed that game, put it to bed, and you're already previewing the opposition on Saturday. So pretty quickly, you have to put it behind you. Okay. And a lot has talked about culture within these clubs, and I've had Brian O'Mara on who spoke about Michael Checker, Mike Ruddock, and many others like Matt Williams. And we even had Dan Levy on talking about Joe Smith, Matt O'Connor, along with Leo and Stewart as well. 
Um, but one thing that seems to strike me about Leinster these days is the unity amongst the entire squad from top to bottom. Because not so much that in previous years it was neglected. It's just lads didn't get opportunities at early ages to get exposure to high-level games. And with that, play with these top, top experienced internationals. And therefore, you know yourself that when you play with these quality players, you get to know them inside out, both on and off the pitch. And you have to give a huge amount of credit to the coaches in that regard. You know, by having those strong relationships with senior guys, with younger guys, with guys who are in the middle of their careers, do you feel like that has helped Lancer on and off the pitch? I guess so. Like, uh, like the coaches are honest and, you, you know, you take feedback and it's not criticism. But, you know, ultimately they're trying to make you a better player and, like people are made, people are held accountable. So it doesn't really matter if if you're one of the more senior players or one of the younger players. Everybody has to hold themselves accountable. So if and it, so, if if one of the older players isn't as playing playing as well as as one of the younger players, then um, you know they're they're going to go with um, you know whoever they feel is going to add more to the to the team. Yeah, and you you read so many times where a coach in any sport says there was really a defining moment of the season where it it really became clear that we had all the makings of doing something special. So was there a moment along the season after a match, a win or a loss or whatever, where you, not so much personally, but you as a group thought you could win trophies? I thought the the last pool game of the Champions Cup was uh, <clears throat> was actually a, an, a significant one. Like Leinster had won in France in a few, quite a few years, I think. And Montpellier were a squad like stacked with world class players, and we went out and we beat them away, uh, and that was our our last pool game. And we'd won we'd won all the pool games as a result. So you now we got we got a home quarter and. And and uh, you know sold out of Eva, so I think that was an important win, and I think the Saracens one was big as well. Like Saracens are have been one of the best clubs, if not the best club in Europe for you know a few years now. Um, they came over again, really talented team, and you know we 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 got one over in them. So that was another significant moment I think for the club. And by winning domestic titles and international competitions, does that make you even more desperate to add to it and work just as hard? Because some players look back on their careers in hindsight and admit that by maybe ticking some of the boxes, i.e. winning certain trophies, they allow themselves to get into their comfort zone and take their foot off the pedal, so to say. So do you find yourself hungrier this preseason than you were last year? Um, I'm definitely as hungry and if not if not hungry now like people are greedy like once they get a taste of things like they just want more so no definitely uh i don't think the the team are are complacent right now and i think heading into the season i don't think there'll be any of that i think we'll be looking for a really good start and to uh to take things off just where we left them so uh no basically yeah, and it only takes you a few mo- a few moments to look up quotes from lads like Nasewa and Sexton this year, where they were really they were just talking about legacy, and 
you see all the great teams in previous recent Champions Cup or Heineken Cup history. You look at Toulon, it was all about that legacy. You look at the Saracen side of the last two or three years, it was all about their legacy. So do you feel now with Leinster, you don't want to be that flash in the pan side. You want to go on and win trophies year on year on year. Definitely. Last season was uh, was obviously unbelievably successful, but there's a real feeling of us backing that up and being consistent and being a, being a consistently dominant force in Europe. So... Obviously, being champions now, you're the target for, for other teams. So, I mean, everybody else is going to get better. So, we have to get better too. So, no, uh, definitely, there's definitely, uh, the club definitely um, wants to move forward. Yeah, no, it, it only feels like yesterday, but obviously it was several weeks ago where Ireland beat Australia down under. And in my opinion, that was Ireland's biggest achievement this year as it was clear that the standard of those three tests were unlike anything we had seen in the Six Nations in terms of speed, game plans, detail and intensity. I'm wondering if you can explain the differences between international and club games from a rugby playing perspective. There's probably more added pressure is probably the main one. Like a lot of people watch Leinster games, um, but some of the Irish games, like the Six Nations games, like they're national Interest like I think over a million people watched the uh, the final game against England, so it's it's a bigger stage, and with that comes a bit of added pressure. I think as well, just the quality of opposition is a bit higher. Like mistakes that you might get away with at club level, you wouldn't get away with at international level because you'll just get torn apart. And do you ever find yourself? preparing for international games differently to what you do a club game so like do you do you alter your preparation for international games compared to club games or is it very much the same i think you have to try to prepare the exact same i've kind of played around with it a bit this year to kind of see what works best for me but for some games this year i i was kind of thinking quite intensely about the game leading up to the to the weekend and I ended up kind of, as a result, really getting overly nervous. And by the time the warm-up game, I feel like I had no spring in me. Like, and, and that was probably reflective of my performances. So I, I tried a result to, to be more relaxed, I guess, and, and not think about it as much, especially kind of on match day when it's hard. And then I, found, then I felt when the, when the warm-up came, when the match came, that... I had more energy and, and more spring in my step, as, as I mentioned. So it's kind of, it's all personal, but uh, that's kind of what I figured out worked best for me. And obviously me slagging you played a small part, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember we talked about some of the negatives with Brian O'Mara when he came on about being a rugby player and the tough parts of being that, but I don't want to get bogged down into the negatives today. And I'd rather like to talk about the positives. So, in your view, what are some of the positives you experience being a professional rugby player? Probably the biggest one is, like, I guess, like, you know, when you're winning things and you're representing your country, like, it makes the players' families feel really proud. And that's kind of why you play. Like, you, the best thing about winning isn't about what it means to you. Like, it's about what it means to your parents, your family, your best mates. That's kind of the biggest driving yeah. goal. As well as that, I guess you you get to make a whole new 
load of mates through rugby. Um, so like obviously I have my own mates, but I've made a lot of friends now through rugby that I probably wouldn't have made if I wasn't a rugby player. So that's another positive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's probably why uh, we're still chatting today because of uh, that nine or ten month period we had while we were in school. So the last question I'd like to ask before the quick fire round is: the last months have brought massive success for you and for Ireland and Leinster, respectively. But equally, the next 12 to 14 months will define coaching careers and playing careers along with legacies. With domestic titles on the line, you've got Six Nations again up for grabs. But the most important thing on the horizon is obviously the World Cup. So do you find that you start thinking ahead? You start thinking, hang on, Japan's fastly approaching. I need to you know, spend some time thinking about that. Or is it very much think week to week, day to day, and you're purely focused on the preseason with Leinster? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still very grounded um, in the next, in preseason, really, the next you know, four or five weeks. I think there's so much to think about uh, next year. So, I mean, there's no point overly thinking about all that. There's so much rugby to be played before, before that. So, no, I'm just uh, enjoying preseason and, and uh, getting back into uh, the, the swing of things. And, and have you had a chance to reflect on this season at all? Has there ever been a time where you've taken an hour or two to just sit down, relax, check out, and just think about what you've achieved and the incredible things that happened this year? And just think, geez, that was that was quite cool what I what I managed to get up to this year. I have, yeah. Um, it was obviously a pretty mad year with you know Leinster and Ireland being. So successful, uh, I didn't have that, that long to reflect because I was on some mad holidays. Yeah, some in Barcelona, <laughs> New York, where my head was pretty gone. <laughs> but no, I haven't. Um, it's, it was a roller coaster of a year, and as I said, one that I was very lucky to have been involved in. And my last point on this season is. Would there be anything you'd change about it? So do you look back and think, oh, I could have changed that, I've done that differently, or do you have no regrets? I don't think so. Seems like, well, you're always learning, as I said about the you know, the preparation before games. But I think you have to go through those experiences in order to know what works for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So probably not. No, no regrets. I don't think so. would say. Mm. I conclude most podcasts now with the quick fire round, so I'm just going to get straight into it. So what is the strangest thing you've seen on a rugby pitch? And do not dare mention my name. Okay. (laughs) Um, The strangest thing, there's definitely a load of weird things I've seen that I just can't remember the answer you're asking me. (laughs) No, I think Richie Allen against Castlemark (laughs) drops his gun shield Oh, <laughs> it's about it twenty meters back. It was Newbridge. During the middle of the game, and like a five-year-old, he runs back to get it, puts the team in jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. Who is the funniest teammate? And that can be from an Irish perspective or a Leinster perspective. David Kilcoyne. David Kilcoyne. Yeah. Why so? Is there anything you can pinpoint out from that? Jesus, I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> say it on air. No, he's just absolutely hilarious. Now, this is always a controversial one, and I think Dave Wilson's currently 4-0 and 
in this uh, question, but who is who was your favourite teacher in St. Oh. Michael's? Bummer. The art teacher? No, I said bummer. Yeah, the art teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Brian yeah. Obercasso. Brian O'Mara. Okay. It was, a, it was a loose shipping run. <laughs> yeah. 10, ten, ten minutes of work, <laughs> 30 minutes of The 10 of 30 relaxation. ratio. Yeah. It's, and it was a winning product. <laughs> What's your favorite place to eat? Kites, Chinese, Balls Bridge. And what is your biggest fear? Because I, I always wish people would ask me this because I hate spiders and I want everyone to know that. So just if I see a spider in any way, shape or form near me, I'm I'm out of there. So so what is your biggest fear? Probably sharks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only written the case. That's for the lads. That's for the lads. Uh, oh, geez, something like being buried alive, I guess. Yeah. That would be pretty dark. Yeah, it wouldn't be uh, ideal. No phone signals as well, so no Instagrams to be had. Which person do you admire most and why? Harry Styles. What? <laughs> Artistic talent. What? Artistic talent. Okay. What is your favourite film? The Departed. Great film. Great soundtrack too. Describe yourself in three words. Curious. As I mentioned before, deep, probably guilty of being a bit of a deep thinker, and loyal. like to think that I'm pretty loyal. Mm. Nicely done. So that concludes the podcast, James. So thanks a million for coming on. Cheers, to you, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Irish rugby and Leinster rugby has to offer in the next year or two. So I wish you all the best with that. And yeah, listen, thanks a million for chatting. And now let's eat some bloody chicken. Hey, if you want to become a Patreon of Rallin's Rant, please click on the link below. And if you cannot find that link, it will be attached on SoundCloud, Twitter, the Facebook page, and all over the social media. Anyway, there's different types of donators, but if you could give anything towards the Rallin's Rant fund, that would be much appreciated because the future of the show is in your hands and anyone who's willing to support the show is considered a great friend of mine. But if you want to hear some extra material, extra podcasts, or even outtakes such as this, I'm just curious to know, fuck sake, please click on the link. Thank you. <laughs>